Hi again, everyone. Hope all is well, wherever you are listening from, and thank you for listening. It is the day after the regular season. And this is always a weird time for anyone that works in the game because it's such a grind. And, I mean, we start basically in February, at least I do, and the team, much harder for the team, by the way. <laughs> I talk for a living, but it is time-consuming. But it starts in February, and it's it's most days. It's literally almost every day for seven months, six, seven months plus whatever. I don't know. I don't even know the math of that. And then... You're around the, all these guys, and there's a camaraderie, obviously, with the, the team. And there's also camaraderie on the on the TV or radio side because we're together every day. And particularly on TV, it's a large crew, and we're around mostly the same people. And it gets to be sort of like a family atmosphere. And then all of a sudden, you're just, see you later. Season's over. Goodbye. So you, it's just kind of weird. It's melancholy in some ways. Exciting in others, because here I am in my office, cup of coffee, and I don't know what I'm going to do today. And there's a beauty in that as well. So even though I got this list of things that I need to do in life that are... <laughs> Very long. That's one thing. It does accumulate. That does build up. And then you're like overwhelmed. Like, how am I going to get all this done? So we'll go one at a time. So here we are putting a wrap on the Reds 2023 season. And if you would have told me in April that we'd be talking about what we're talking about today, I probably would have, like most people, like, eh, probably not. Probably not. But... Reds somehow midseason got ahead of schedule. I mean, we went from 100 losses last year to looking at the roster in, in April. And certainly before the season, many people say they're going to lose 100 again. And I wasn't in that camp, but if anyone tells you that they would have lasted to game 161 before being eliminated, would have like, eh, you're probably dreaming on that. But that's what happened. And we went from, wow, they're not going to be very good again. To, you know, when are these rookies going to come up? And we hope they can get some experience. And we're looking towards maybe turning it on next year to, wow, these rookies coming up pretty good. This Matt McClain kid's pretty good. Wow. Ellie De La Cruz. Goodness gracious, freak of nature. Spencer Steer was already here. TJ Frito, although not a rookie, are already here. And Andrew Abbott and CES. This kid's got power. Marte. Goodness gracious, he ended the season on a 16-game hitting streak. I think that tied the rookie record. It stood a long, long time. And these guys are really good. And then all of a sudden they won 12 in a row. And it's like, 
holy cow, they could they could make the playoffs. Then it was like, could they win the division? And they were trying to like at the time, <clears throat> pardon me, time um saying maybe we gotta pump the brakes a little bit. A lot of season left. The league tends to figure out rookies. And that was one of the beauties of all these rookies coming up together is that they all excelled together, and that was so exciting midseason. <clears throat> but the bad side of that is the league kind of figured them out all together at the same time. And not only that, they some of them, I don't want to say any of them hit really the rookie wall other than the pitchers, but at some point you start playing so many games that you're not used to that gets to be a blur. So all those rookies kind of, outside of probably Marte, kind of hit at the same time. And um, then McClain gets hurt. I mean, the, the injuries along the way. The, the injuries to the pitching staff were, were devastating. Hunter Green was out for a long time. Nick Lodolo, then Ashcraft. And they were mixing and matching with starting pitchers. And there were pitchers coming up and filling innings. And the bullpen, their, the appearances by the bullpen were incredible um what those guys gave down there was so impressive and they were much maligned and much like bullpens are you know you can go good for several games and then you have one bad game and everyone's talking about the bullpen that's just the nature of baseball but the bullpen was the glue of this team it held the team together and they were overworked and man did it show at the end of the season so they kind of ran out of gas i guess you could say a little bit but to last to game 161, incredible in my eyes. Disappointing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Once you're in there and you get there, um, you know, it, it was disappointing. But looking forward, wow. This core, if they can add some pieces, and we're going to talk to... Uh, some guys coming up of what maybe they would add and their reflections on the season. But it was a bit of a roller coaster ride, but it was a good ride. It was one that you get you get off, and when the dust clears, and I know there's disappointment out there, but when the dust clears, you're like, you know what? That was a fun season. It reignited the fan base. People came back to the ballpark. And now you know that, you know, for so many years, we there's only a few players you would know. Now you know the core of this team. And they're coming back. Barring anything unforeseen. They're coming back. Most of them, I mean, we'll see what happens in the offseason. They're young and they're hungry and their style of play is fun to watch. And hopefully they take that next step. So I think the future's bright, Whether you know. Depends on how you define bright. But either way, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun ride. And I can't wait. So today we're going to talk to a couple of compadres on the broadcast side. And we'll put a wrap on this here season. And we are going to start with uh, one of my TV compadres. TV's John Sadek. I don't have his pipes, but I tried it. Let's ring him up. Let's see what he's doing day after. Is this 2023 sideline reporter of the year, Jim Day? 
<laughs> they don't have such an award, but they're not going to give I'm it. Pretty to, sure. They're not going to give it to an old fart. It's going to be an up, <laughs> an up and comer. <laughs> the statue is going to be magnificent. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they build a wide base for hold up this big head. <laughs> What's up, man? I was I just told the listeners that I've it's uh one of those melancholy days where you don't know what to do with yourself because you're used to arranging everything or your life around baseball, which is nearly every day. And I'm sitting here in the office, I'm drinking coffee, I'm petting my dogs, and I'm talking to you. It's glorious. Well, that last thing, uh, condolences, but everything else sounds just <laughs> wonderful, just majestic. It is. How are you on the, uh, you know, the last game? It's it's a little uh, weird. It's a little weird, right? I mean, it's a yeah, yeah. I think anytime the last game of every season is always difficult. It's uh, because it does just become such a part of your daily process. It's your life. You know, it's, it's everything that, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we're, we're saying not necessarily goodbye, but so long for now to a lot of people that we won't see nearly as much for a long time. Um, but I, I think this year for me of every final game that I've, I've had in any one season, I think this was relatively one of the easier ones because it was such a good year. And there, there are so many, positive possibilities to launch off of this uh that uh, to me it, it yes the team fell short of the postseason goal um but i think so much was accomplished and there's so much on the horizon that yeah. I, I look at it in a very positive light yeah as opposed to last year where it felt like you just went through a firing squad <laughs> last year was tough especially yeah. the last like six weeks to two months oh, was, was really rough yeah <laughs> and you know it's relative. We talk for a living, so we're not digging ditches. So I know out there, no. some people are doing some real work, but it's all relative. And it was mentally exhausting for, you know, the, the tough job we have. Actually, a tougher job you have because you had to call those 100 losses. Um, I mean, I don't think my job is necessarily tough, but I, I, uh, I feel what, radiates from others a lot, uh, perhaps excessively. I mean, I think I need to sometimes find a way to cut that off a little bit. Um, but I, I could see and feel what it was like in the clubhouse. You know, it, it was a, a younger team. Um, and it's hard to carry that weight. And yeah. They're handsomely compensated. They live a great life, but they're competitive and yeah. they, they, they want to win. And, yeah. uh, and I, I think that's, that's what really struck me the most was, uh, you know, you can't help but root for people. You get to know as people that you're around every day, right. and to to see them endure something like that is uh, that's its own challenge. And then it's, yeah, you, know, you want to be a, a source of distraction for the for the viewer for that experience, but you also have to be honest. And you know, the reality is what it was, and that to me, that's what made this year stand out all the more was that that reversal within one year. Yeah, uh, the guys in that that clubhouse and that dugout, I believe that they believed it. I believe when, you know, Stevenson and India were speaking in spring training, they saw this coming, but most of us didn't, not to this extent, 
Yeah, the, the odds of that many young players arriving, period, let alone that many being as good as they were, it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. That was the di- you know the big difference for me is we've seen prospects come up in the past uh, for the Reds, and they've been sprinkled in here and there, and sure, some of them were very, very good. But the talent level, how it was upped, just obviously one guy at a time when they came up and the steer was already here and Frida was already here and um, et cetera. The young pitchers were already here before they got hurt. But the talent level is just a notch up from what we've seen, not only individually, but then when you put them together collectively, you're like, wow, this is a really good group. And when you think about this infield going forward, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Joey Votto, but let's assume that it's CES at first base, or at least he's there and maybe Sharon, maybe Votto's back, who knows, but CES, McLean, Ellie, Marte. Wow. That's some talent. That's some serious talent. It's a, a great young core, and uh, and I think you touched on it there, too, that not only are they so young, so talented, already realizing a lot of that ability in the big leagues as a group, uh, but there is there is something special to the connectedness of this group. The yeah, th- This is a sport of ego, and for many teams, it's not all kumbaya. Not everybody gets along, and, and that can have its own potency, too. That can all at times be its own strength. Uh, but there is a sincere sense of togetherness and family and positivity among this group that I think because of their age, because of the naivete that was its own strength at times um, and the confidence and the fun factor, um, it, it all bled into the, the best possible scenario. It, it fits how they play. It fits their running style. It fits their aggression. It fits the way that they just have the sense of belief in each other and themselves. And it, I, I think it, it was the perfect storm in many ways for this group. Um, and, and so many of them you have to recognize also are imported players. They were not necessarily signed or drafted by the Reds. And that's another working element that you know, many of these guys, their primary early position as pros were the same and they're finding a way to all work together like that. That that's rare. That doesn't really happen. Yeah. And what I think is the best part of it is these guys didn't just get a taste of big league life. They got a major full meal. In fact, three meals of big league life in that they had played several games They all went through success periods. They all went through down periods. They had to work their way out of slumps. They had to work their way through playing more games than they've ever played before. And that is going to be huge. And, oh, by the way, they played meaningful games in September. They fell short. Yes, that can be a learning experience as well. But they experienced all of that. And now that's in the rearview mirror and they know what it takes and they can build on that going forward. That is so exciting to me. I, I totally agree. And, and and I also very much believe that falling just short of the playoffs in some ways can be an even better fuel yeah. for next year. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, if they had made the playoffs this year, I, I don't know how that would have went, uh, chiefly because I think there was a wear factor on the bullpen that um, that did an excellent job on the season. I mean, a, a spectacular job on the season. Yeah. The more I'm removed from it, the more it stands out. 
They were the um, back backbone of the team. They were the glue. They they were they held it together amazingly. You know, right before you called, I was actually watching MLB Central, been watching a lot of the playoff preview stuff. And uh, I'm actually probably going to watch more playoffs this year than I have in a while. And uh, and partially because this is going to be likely a lot of the Reds' competition mm-hmm. next year and beyond. And I expect Cincinnati to be a playoff team going forward. Um, and Mark DeRosa was breaking down the Minnesota Twins and was – uh, looking at the back end of their bullpen, and, and not even just the back end, like the, the, top, the half dozen arms that they have, and how many of them threw 95 plus, and how nasty they were, and how effective they had been. And he brought up the point of how the uh, on any team that the middle reliever that lives in relative anonymity, um, that is not really thought of all that much by by many, is called upon so often to get some of the biggest outs that there are. That there's some of the key cogs to success. And it made me think of this Reds team again. I'm like, yeah, like how many times did that happen in a fifth, sixth, seventh inning? And you know, the, the starters as a whole did not go very long for most of the year. That's that's an area that probably needs to be addressed to some extent. And I think will, and I think we'll see growth from the, the younger arms as they reach new thresholds. But that, that was a giant part of why the team was in it until the last day of September. Yeah, no doubt. And when you... You look at the bullpen that they put together, and if you looked individually, I'm sure Diaz, a lot of accolades, deservingly so, seriously ran out of gas towards the end of the season. But if you were to line them up individually, you'd go, yeah, all right. Collectively, somehow, they just collectively as a group, most of the time got it done. When starters were going three and four innings, Five was a good day, and just holding it together collectively. It was uh, just the the pieces that they put together, uh, everyone involved. It just it was uh, it was a really strong effort. Yeah, and, and something that I've heard quite a bit, and just you know, we're only a day removed from the regular season finale, uh, and I've heard from dozens of Reds fans already that have talked about how this season has been one of their most enjoyable and, and, and the, the spans of time that some of them are citing are blow me away because it, it's overlapping with many other far more successful years on the field, you know, playoff years. Yeah. Um, but there was a fun factor and just such an optimistic angle to what this team is that they're a likable team that Jim, I, I think they have a real shot at becoming even more of a, a national brand. Like I, I think you and I are going to be watching more games done by national counterparts on TV and yeah, big, big gobs in the years to come because they're, yeah. they, there's such a wow factor with them. I agree with that. Especially when you add in the Ellie De La Cruz and we talked about this on the air where he's, he's becoming a national player quickly. When we go around to these other stadiums and they introduce the Reds lineup, you know, Votto always gets attention, uh, national player. But all of a sudden, a big roar comes up when De La Cruz is introduced or when he's introduced mm-hmm. to taking at bat. And there's some boos out there, which is also a respect thing. Um, so just him alone is going to work right into what you were talking about. And we saw this when they when they hit the fire and they won 12 in a row, and they, they had captured the national attention. I mean, I tuned into SportsCenter one night, and I couldn't believe it. They were leading with the Cincinnati Reds. 
A lot of times they don't even show them, let alone lead with them. And you could see a lot of these national pundits, they kind of adopted the Reds. Did you see that too? Or some of these, whether it be sports center anchors or anchors anywhere or national pundits, they just kind of adopted like, hey, this is a fun team to watch. I'm rooting for these guys. Very much. Yeah. Particularly kind of cresting with that win streak in the series against the Braves and you know, they had already had success against Texas. The Dodgers series was around that time. They were proving themselves against the, you know, the who's who that were in the sport this year. Um, and, and I would also say that, you know, the idea of the, the cheers and the boos for Ellie, where I perhaps see it the most is when I meet kids that are Reds fans. Yeah. When I meet the, you know, the 12 and under group that watches and loves the Reds, and I ask them, who's your favorite player? What do you like about Reds games? The number one by a lot universal thing I hear is they are in love with Ellie De La Cruz. Yeah. And when we go on the road, there's always autograph seekers outside of the team hotel. And you know when he's getting on the bus because it's, It's incredible. And of just a few months that this happened for, for Ellie. I mean, we all saw it coming because in the organization, we, we follow it and kind of knew that this sensational generational talent was coming. But now the baseball world's picking it up. Uh, it, it's exciting going forward. Now, the tough part, John, the dreaded sophomore slump. How do these players avoid it? Now, speaking of Ellie De La Cruz, there were spectacular moments. Also, a lot of struggles along the way. There's a serious adjustments he needs to make at the plate and in the field. Do you think uh, we'll see some progress once we hit Goodyear in the spring? I, I certainly think so, and uh, and I hope so. Um, I, I I do think for Ellie, you know, I asked Chris this during the course of the last uh, regular season broadcast on the air, and I've asked others too behind the scenes and. Like, what do you think Ellie should be focusing on? What should he be doing with his offseason? And just about universally, those who know far more than me that played and have, you know, made decisions about or coached in this game for a long time, just about all said, he needs to just not do anything. He needs to just rest. He needs to give himself a chance. And not just physically. I mean, yeah, he's a young guy. He's in great shape. I think there's some of that from the wear and tear of playing that many total games. But even more so, the mental side. Um, yeah, you know, to your earlier point, the idea of the autograph seekers—it's um, a good problem to have. But reality is sometimes different than that. You know, that glossy perception. There were many times I'm leaving the hotel alongside him, and we're going out an entrance, and the bus isn't right there. We well, have to walk just, around the corner. That's too much star power. You, you can't walk with Ellie. You two together. That's just too much star power. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, that's like, who's the the chubby bald guy who's with him. Get him out of the way. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. I but, couldn't resist. Go ahead. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's surrounded instantly by 15, 30, 50 people. I mean, it's, it's not Beatlemania, but it's a lot that he's yeah. 21 years old. Yeah. And, uh, he does speak English well. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's still, it's a different language. It's a different country. And, and it's, all transactional stuff. It's not people just wishing him well. You know, they're, yeah, you know, the, this one guy had this giant framed image of him 
And Ellie's like, do you want me to sign it? It's behind glass. I don't even know how I'm going to do that. And, <laughs> and uh, the guy's like handing it to him and like, like really pushing it upon him while Ellie's walking the entire time. And he's smiling and, um, and he's being very pleasant. And uh, so Ellie, like reluctantly, because this man is like, like thrusting this into his hands repeatedly, grabs it. And he's like, no, it's for you. That's for you. And then immediately it's all right, I'm going to need a bat from you tonight. And I'm going to, and Ellie's like, well, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's, he wants to be nice. Like he really wants to take care of everybody. He tries. And, and at some point there's such a star power for him. He can't take the time for everything. No. He just can't. There's not enough time. No. And, uh, and I, I, I do think there's a cumulative wear to that. Um, so yeah, I mean his his swing got noticeably larger during the course of the year. Um, the league figured out how to pitch. There was a piece in MLB.com about a month or so ago that talked about how it took the majors almost four years to significantly drop the fastball rate to Aaron Judge to where it was less than fifty yeah. percent. It took them that many weeks to do that to Ellie. Right. I mean the, the amount of <clears throat> breaking balls he was seeing was incredible. And if I'm going in the lab with him, I'm throwing nothing but breaking balls up there to him. I'm not sure I'd throw him a fastball off season, but um, <clears throat> you you mentioned Aaron Judge. It's very interesting. I talked to several what I would call <clears throat> excuse me hitting experts, and two of them unsolicited brought up Aaron Judge, and they said if I were coaching Ellie De La Cruz, first thing I would do is show him Aaron Judge video. I would show him Aaron Judge when he first came up, and I would show him Aaron Judge now because there's a mm -hmm. distinct difference. He had the long swing, and he's taller than Ellie. He had the yep. long swing that we've been seeing with De La Cruz, and then he shortened it. Now, I don't want to go into the mechanics that they told me about. I know exactly what they're talking about. I don't want to go that deep into it. But if he would emulate that, now we're on to something. So I, I hope that stuff like that will go on because it is fixable. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's, uh, and I, I think in very similar fashion to judge, there is an innate power that you don't need. He doesn't need to have a big broad swing right. and he doesn't need to be thinking Homer. And I, I think there were times where, yeah, that he's 21, you know, like he, he, his first home run nearly went into the Ohio, like, of course, there were times he was probably trying to hit a moonshot homer. And bought, I think that's normal. Bought I think a that's family, of... too. Bought a family. <laughs> you believe that? <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're just now finally getting their, uh, their, their full package. <laughs> the powers that be, the insurance is coming in. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I, I think uh, I, I, I do believe that he, he – wants to be great and he oh, wants to win it. absolutely absolutely he does what i was excited to see as well is and, and he's uh he's not very good at it yet but he was trying to bunt and yeah. if he can add that in i mean we saw what you know with friedel uh how how much of an advantage that is. And and Frito worked with Brett Butler in spring training. It really helped. I hope the same happens with Ellie. I imagine something like that will. But if he can add that in, mm, look out. But I just hope he makes just – I just hope he shortens up. And 
defensively, I think those are, you know, those are fixable as well. And this was all a whirlwind to him. I mean, the kid's 21. And he's doing this at the major league level, so we got to have a little patience too. But man, we if if he figures it out on the whole, look out. Yeah, I mean he he was an A ball a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's uh the accelerated rate of growth, and and I, I'm really curious, Jim, what we're gonna think of this era 20, 30 years from now. The COVID year had a lot of impact on a lot of people that didn't have a chance to play, um, and it probably took away some learning curve from pitchers and hitters uh, that are kind of catching up or really uh, rounding out their talents and feel at the big league level, instead of doing that in the minors. And, and, you know, Ellie, I think pretty thoroughly dominated each progressive level as he went up in the minors and he, he showed that he was ready for the next level, but this is the biggest jump. The, the big leagues, the, the, that's no joke with how they scout and how they handle you. And I, I've said this on the air, and I really believe it. I know what Ellie's hitting struggles were, particularly after the All-Star break. Um, he, he did finish this last week really well. But he was you know, sub-200 since the break. It is what it is. Yeah, I believe even when he was at his, his lowest point, when the strikeouts were mounting and contact was incredibly infrequent, he was still being pitched the hardest of any red. Because the pitchers have a sense of pride. He is a human highlight reel. Everyone knows what he's physically capable of. And they don't want to be shown up. And like they're, they're making sure they read that scouting report. I'm going to get this dude. Because not only do they not want to allow the 500-foot homer, but if he gets on base, what if he steals second, steals third, steals home? They don't want any part of that. Oh, yeah. A lot they, of, yeah. they definitely go at him. Yeah. And there were a lot of one-run games, and we saw even when he was struggling, he would get on base and still change the game around. And he would get on first base, and I think we told the story on the air where first base coach Colin Calgio, every time he gets on base, Poppy, I'm going to score. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scoring. And at times there was some aggression that you need to pull back a little bit. There were so he ran into some outs. Now that's going yep. to happen, but there were a few that were like, okay, now that's it's taking it too far. This is the big leagues. Gotta know who's out there. There's a throw. There was a, a time in Cleveland where you gotta know who the right fielder is. He's got one of the best arms and most accurate in the game. So, you know, pick and choose your spots at some point. But that's all part of the learning process. You know, we sit here and talk about Ellie and uh Matt McClain might be their best player. I agree. I think he is. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, his, his at bats almost look effortless. Um, there is, uh, he is such a read react kind of guy. Um, quick twitch, small compact zone, um, can go to all fields. All, even his outs are generally line drives. Um, very versatile, very good defender. Uh, he looked way better at short than I had expected him to be, to yeah. be honest. Yep. Um, I think he probably does profile as a second baseman for most of his major league career, especially on this team with how much depth they're going to have at short. Um, but yeah, I, he, he is. He's, he's the combination of power and, and he has speed at high average. Um, and he has a, a clutch factor too. He is, he's an excellent, excellent player. Yeah. And then that's not even talking about if you're going to list team MVP, it would be between 
Spencer Steer and TJ Friedel, I imagine. And we didn't even really talk about them, but Steer was so steady. And he's got that on-balance swing that, much like McLean, it's compact, and those swings usually don't go into prolonged slumps. And then what Friedel brought to the table, um, it's just a good mix. Very much. Yeah, it's you can make a really compelling case between the two of them. Uh, for who deserves that honor. I think if McLean had played the you know most of the year, he didn't get promoted until May, and then he was hurt down the tail end. He's in that definitely in that conversation too. Yeah. Um finished so incredibly well. I mean, yeah. he, he played the best down that last week. Yep. Um and he he gave them a chance to win games by himself. But for me it's it's probably Steer just because of his his selflessness, um his ability to not just go to other positions, but to play them well. Um, and it flowed up and down the lineup at times, you know, the, you know, I, I think we're all biased to the end of the year and we think of him normally hitting in that, you know, third, fourth spot, but that wasn't the case all year. Oh no. And he was in seventh a lot. He was proving himself or, or he was moving based upon other personnel and yeah. certain respect factors for established veterans. And, and he was just the same dude. He's just always the same dude. Yep. No, it was so impressive. I've seen guys move around positions and we're talking about most guys don't want to get embarrassed at the big league level in the field. And when you mention a different position, particularly going from the infield to the outfield and you've never done it and you're going to try it at the major league level, That'll mess most guys up at the plate or just mess them up in general. And it never seemed to bother him. He just rolled with it. He didn't even have a glove sometimes. He didn't have a first base glove. Hey, anyone got a first base glove? I need to play first base. There was a game that I think he moved around five times to different positions and just rolls right off of him. And you've got, in today's game, you've got to have a player like that. He was. If you define valuable for me, he was the most valuable because that that value was huge for this team. I would agree, and and there was a hidden value that seemingly surprised him. Uh, you know, I, I thought he was one of your best podcast guests on the year, and Love when he Spencer. spoke of when he spoke of like discovering that he could steal yes. and the conversations he had with Colin Calgill. And the, the domino effect that he pointed out of how he saw the Brewers pitchers have to totally reshape yeah. their times to the plate. And he's like, it definitely affected their ability to execute pitches and it helped the hitters. And he saw that reciprocal nature. Um, like that's, that's scary too. You know, yep. guys that, that don't steal or maybe don't have that inner sense of confidence. That's to some extent a leap of faith that he took for the team and did so successfully. Yeah. Hey, going forward, I'm uh, I'm keeping you much longer than uh, I said. Hey, John, you got ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I did keeping... phone surveys for a long time. That was always my sell to the people I would call to. <laughs> oh, it's only five to ten minutes. No, it's it's a forty-five minute survey about motor oil. But yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> I'm keeping you from your dog, your wife. Uh, your life, you're free, you're free, we're free. <laughs> just, but just a couple more questions on the survey, John. <laughs> Looking forward, uh, let's assume that every starting pitcher is healthy. And they might even bring in, they might even sign a starter. 
there's going to be some competition for the spots, and that's a good thing, too, because the guys that don't make it, one, could be depth, and two, a couple of those guys might go to the bullpen with some great arms. So this battle for the rotation next year is going to be very interesting. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I think you're, at minimum right now, looking at seven guys competing for five spots. And I'm with you. I mean, they're going to have liberated money. There's, there's not going to be that much that's committed. And right. I have to imagine that uh, at at least a starter and probably at least a you know impactful reliever will be among the targets for them to try to add to this team, um, and and that's an interesting scenario. You know, we've had we've had conversations with others whose opinions we trust um, that are around the organization, not necessarily in it, and uh, and ask them, hey, what, what do you think about this guy? Would he be a good relief arm if it came down to these two? Who would you choose to start and relieve? And and that's where I think spring training, I think you're right on. Um, spring training is going to be a, a, a proving ground. Yeah. You know, that, that internal competition, I think, is going to be as high, certainly in my time covering the team. But when, when's the last time you remember this happening? Oh, John, there were years where we're like, who's starting opening day? <laughs> Let alone who's filling out four and five. Mm-hmm. And then it was, you know, they'd have a few guys. Okay, there's going to be a real hard, there's going to be a big battle for three, four, and five. And we don't even know who those guys are. And, oh, he's in the mix? Who's he? Oh, okay, yeah, I remember him. He was pitched for such a, it was a, a hodgepodge. Now, they're legit. The, the seven guys that you could list right now are legit big league pitchers. And... Even I, I'm for the philosophy of if hey, going down to the bullpen's fine, and uh, they're going to need depth. Obviously, you're going to need seven or eight at least to get through the season. So I get that, but man, I would be tempted. There's a couple of guys, and I don't want to earmark guys. I don't want to talk about specific names because that's a little unfair. But there's a couple in there that I think would be outstanding relievers. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I, I can't wait. I mean, you could, if we're going to list names, I mean, you can list four right away that are, if they're healthy, they're probably in the rotation. Green, Lodolo, Abbott, Ashcraft. I agree. So that battle for number five. Woo, doggy. Looking forward to it. Very much. Good problem to have. Very much. Good problem to have. And when you look at, we mentioned the core of the infield, so you're like you're not going into the offseason. Okay, gosh, I need a third. I need an everyday third baseman. I need an everyday shortstop, second baseman. For, no, we have the have those. You've got a center fielder that's legit. You've got guys a, a, a Benson or a Fraley or, or even you know assets if you want to trade or whatever, um, where you're just filling in one or two spots with perhaps a free agent signing or a trade. That's big, where you're not trying to fill out multiple spots, and we've seen that over the years. We're talking about one or two spots that they could upgrade. Yeah, and that's and I think you do touch on something there with the idea of the trade, that part of this Reds team taking those next steps to being perennial playoff contender and World Series caliber contender, which I, I do believe relatively near term is possible. I really do. Uh, it probably hinges some on selective trades of younger players, 
but still prime or you know pre-prime players where you could trade from a position of strength, hedging your bets on what you think is going to help you the best and address a position of need. And I, I think that's going to be a, a compelling part of what Nick Kroll and Brad Metter and the rest of the front office look at and accomplish. And there's going to be some risk involved in that. But I, I think it's – these are all – I think you said it right. There's going to be a lot of good team problems, and that is so cool. Oh, and so healthy. I mean, nothing the, – the biggest motivator is fear and competition. Fear of mm-hmm. losing whatever and competition for your spot, man. Nothing motivates like, hey, there's another dude that can take my spot. So yep. those are uh, good problems to have. You know what else is a good problem, John? I don't What's know that? what I'm going to do with myself the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I take that back because I'm going to run this by you real quick. Cowboy is driving from Cincinnati back to Mississippi as we speak. Mm-hmm. Now, he could be an angry cowboy because he's not on a horse and a stagecoach. He's actually in a car. <laughs> he's, he's in a car, and he's probably going, he's probably driving fast, and I'm going to call him during this trip on this podcast. I like this. (laughs) So I like this a lot. That's what I'm going to do next, John. And then the rest of the day, I don't know. We'll hang out with the the doggies probably. But uh, there there are a number of TV shows I've been recommending to you. Now you have some time. Big time. People say, what are you going to do? The season's over. I'm like, get reacquainted with my couch and my TV. (laughs) (laughs) So looking forward to you have some football ahead, right? Lots of football. Indeed, yeah. Going yeah, to this London. Week I'll be, uh, yeah, I'll uh, I'll be going across the pond. Uh, yes. My wife Colleen, our daughter Claire, will be going with me and uh, working Ravens Titans. Uh, nice. That'll be on the radio. My NFL assignments. Oh, hold on, it's radio. Uh, oh, it's TV's John Sadek, and sometimes radio. <laughs> Radio is my first love. I, yeah. I, I love radio. Yeah. I love doing Who doesn't? football, basketball, and radio. I love the tournament I get to do on radio. Yeah, my face was made for radio. I don't know how I stumbled into this TV thing. I don't, I don't know how I've survived or stumbled into it. I know on a 75-inch HD screen, I'm like, turn him down. Turn him down. I you told you to- this on the team plane on the way back. You are made to do morning radio one day. I want to listen to... <laughs> Mornings with Jim Day. See, that'll be. It would have to be the unfiltered though version of me, and it might shock some people. Yeah, we'll go satellite. Yeah, <laughs> it might shock some people. Like he cursed. <laughs> uh, that's what I thought I was going to do. I went to college to study radio. I, I, I'm serious. I stumbled into this TV thing. I just completely stumbled into it, and they kept giving me gigs. I can't believe it. What a country! What a country! Sorry for those that uh, cringe when I come on. I apologize to you. This is Jim Day apologizing to you personally for having to look at me. But you've got the pipes for radio, John Sadak. And whatever you're doing, if you're doing NFL or you're doing some college on TV, I will be following along on my couch. I'll make sure to to say a special hello. Love to your puppies. Uh, Yes. Puppies have been going through a struggle, but I think they're they're on the rebound here. And hot stove will be back before you know it, right? 
Excuse me. I got a bad connection. Hello. <laughs> hot stuff. Oh, yeah. I got to do the hot stuff. You're right. <laughs> but actually, if I survived a few years ago when there was this lockout and we couldn't even mention a player, I don't know. If, I'm sure the, the listeners figured it out, but we couldn't mention players, major league players. We did a whole season of hot stove without mentioning a major league player. <laughs> if I survive that, I can survive anything. So looking forward to champion, Jim. Looking forward to the hot champion. stove because there's a lot to talk about, like we talked about here on this podcast, which uh, was supposed to be uh, 10 minutes with you, and it ended up being about 40. <laughs> I miss you already, Jim. All right, miss you too. I'm going to call the cowboy. Good luck to you and the wife Good and luck. the dog and the daughter. And stay in touch, especially I want to know how London went. I want to know about London because I need to go there. So I need a scouting we'll report. We'll let you know, sir. Yes, I need a scouting report. All right, that is TV's John Sadek. John, thank you. Great season. And uh, looking forward to next year. Go Reds. Yes, sir. Stay safe, my friend. That is TV's John Sadek. And we'll be back. And we're going to call the Cowboy after this. All right, that was TV's John Sadak. Hope you enjoyed that. He's always got good insight, you know? He's always got good insight. Good talker, obviously. Um, very much looking forward to it. Now, I tease that we're going to call Jeff Brantley. And again, he is driving from Cincinnati back to Mississippi. And I think it's a tandem drive. He's in one car and his wife's in another, and she's trying to keep up with him. So hopefully he's not uh, in the mountains or anything. So he kind of knows I'm calling, but kind of not because he forgets. Southbound and down. Come on. <laughs> Southbound and down. Where are you right now? Oh, man. Um, I'm probably between Louisville and Bowling Green is my guess. See, you already got the extra southern twang going on. You know you're going back to Mississippi, and you've already got it back. Well, the boy don't want to sound like a stranger. (laughs) (laughs) You can't can't come crazy. Hey, I just changed over from um, east coast to central, so I'm right on time, brother. That is beautiful. You got a moment to talk some Cincinnati Reds? I mean, you have nothing to do but drive, right? Sure, man. Is the wife able to keep up with you? She's right behind me. She's got all my clothes, and I got all my car. <laughs> now, do you drive with cowboy boots, or do we have hopefully some comfortable tennis shoes on, some sneakers or something? Bro, how many times in your life have you seen me without boots? I've heard rumors that, you know, you're running steps and stuff like that. So I playing pickleball. So I imagine you're not doing that. I'm doing that. I'm doing that just to try to stay alive. But yes, I am wearing my cowboy boots and my wife doesn't get it. She's like, why don't you wear tennis shoes? I have my tennis shoes, but they're in the passenger floorboard there. (laughs) I don't know. I just feel more comfortable in them. I, I have them on. So there you go. 
So, but you're not playing pickleball in cowboy boots, are you? No, I'm not. I'm not oh. playing pickleball in cowboy boots. Oh, no, if I'm doing anything athletic, I'm wearing tennis shoes. But driving <laughs> is not so much athletic, is it? It's not, but there's a comfort factor. But if it's comfortable for you, you know, right. that's all that matters. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, I'm in my zone. That's all that matters. All right. I asked the same. Uh, I just talked to Sadak and... Uh, Ask you the same thing. What's it like the the day after the season for you as a player and a broadcaster? Because those that don't go through it, uh, it's such a grind. And then all of a sudden, and just lickety split, it's over. See you later. Bye bye. See you when I see you. After people you've been around every day for seven months. Yeah, it's um, it's never an easy transition. I mean, we make it we make it like that. Um. But I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't sleep real good last night. I mean, I, I kept replaying things that we could have done, should have done. I did this when I played, you know, the day the season's over and you go home and you feel like, you feel like you've missed somebody that you should have said bye to or maybe you'll catch them on the phone. But it's, it's, never, a, it's never comfortable, never. It's yeah. never like, oh, wow, the season's over. Oh, I can't wait to get home. You know, everybody else around you is like that because they're ready for you to come home. Like my family's that way, but I'm never that way. It just, I mean, no matter what, even if it's a terrible year or if it's a great year, it's almost like, you know, this is what we do. And I just, you know, selfishly, I'd like for it to just keep right on rocking along. Yeah. And you just get baseball in your blood and you're used to it. It's an everyday thing. But it was also going through uh, because they came so close. I mean, they, Played 161 games before being eliminated, which was a major step in the right direction, obviously. But then, do you find yourself looking back like, okay, came up, came up two games short? You might even say one. Who knows? Sunday would have been different if you win Saturday in St. Louis. Where are the games that really hurt? Man, they should have won this game. And there's a ton along the way, obviously, when you play 162. But for me. The last homestand, the obvious one is blowing a 9 nothing lead. And then they blew a lead to Minnesota on that same homestand. They lost both series. Oh, we got we got a police scanner going on? Yeah. Let's get a little beefy. <laughs> they lost both series on that last well, I, homestand. I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I'm right. Those are those are games that you know, you can look back at some other games earlier in the year and, and kind of pick those apart if you want to. But um, I think for me, the the game that you're winning nine to nothing and you lose, um, it just it just kind of it, it took some wind out of their sails. Yeah. And I know they probably won't admit it, and I wouldn't admit it if I was in that locker room. But it it, it just took some wind out of their sails. It, it gave them a huge opening of vulnerability because that bullpen was rocking along so good and doing so well. And then they just, it just, it just shut it down. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, that, and there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, you can, you can play and hit and work at it, but that's one of those games that you just say, Oh no. Yeah. And you know, firsthand how hard it is to be a reliever in major league baseball individually and collectively how impressed were you with this the guys that 
when you look at them individually and you look at the back of their baseball card and where they came from, to be successful as they were collectively, on the whole, obviously there's, there were games, there were stretches there that we've talked about, but on the whole, holding that team together, how impressed were you? I was very impressed. Um, you know, and I, and I think that's what, what they had and, and what they have is guys that, you know, kind of tugged on each other. They, they came together as a group. Um, you had your final inning guy and Alexis Diaz and everybody else just said, you know what, uh, if I can't do it, you pick me up. And all of a sudden it just became that group. They got, they got tougher and better and more hard nosed as the season went along. And it was kind of like the, the bullpen against the world. And, you know, they, they pulled it off um, up until a point where they were just used so much and so often there at the end of the season, it just wore them out. And, you know, I mean, that if you're a bullpen guy, that's really what you want. Um, you want to be worn out, but um, it, it was just too much at the end. You just couldn't get enough starter innings to, to save them. Yeah. Your expertise directly as the all-time single seasons leader in saves for the Reds, which, by the way, at one point this season, I thought Diaz, you know, he's got a shot to catch 44. Uh, didn't work out he that did. way. Yeah. Now, obviously, at the end of the season, he was out of gas like everyone else. He might have been the most out of gas. It was really obvious. But there were other times that, obviously. I, I would were, agree with that. Yeah, there were other times that he was dominant. And there was a stretch in there before you could say that the the tiredness set in completely that he was hittable. And what do you think he needs to do to make that next step to be elite, elite closer in the game? Well, I, I think the the parts of the season that gas you the most as a as a closer are the times that you pitch um, tie ball games two in, when you're pitching two innings, uh, when you're coming in in the in the seventh inning? Uh, those are those are times that it it's not a it's not a physical thing, Jimmy. I, I think I think this is hard to describe, but it's it's more in your head, um, and and that's a tough thing to overcome when you're the closer. When you're the guy that always pitches with the game on the line in the ninth inning, um, you get used to that. And you, number one, you not only get used to it from a, a mental and a physical sense for yourself, but you also get in a groove of reading hitters and how they react when the game's on the line for them as well. So, and that changes in other innings. It changes. It's different in the first inning than it is in the ninth. It's different in the seventh than it is in the ninth. And everybody that watches baseball and that writes about baseball and talks about baseball, they say, oh, no, it's not. The numbers are the same. The hitter, it's not the same. I've done it. I've done all of those. I've started. I've pitched in the middle. I've mopped up. I've closed. I've done all of those. It is different in the ninth inning. And if you have a guy that is your ninth inning guy, then that's when you need to use him. And if you do that and you have the, the wherewithal in your bullpen to be able to save that one guy, till the end of the ball game, he'll never mess it up for you. He'll be good and he'll be great. And you have to figure out what you're going to do to be able to get the game to him every single night. And when you do that, 
you will have a bullpen that will not run out of gas at the end of the season, and your closer will be there when you have to have him in the middle of October. I love that you answered the question that I was about to ask, and that's how do you <laughs> how do you keep him fresh? Other than the starters going deeper in games, that's obvious. But how do you keep that guy fresh? Because he's the one you need to keep the most fresh. Him and your well, I, one or two setup guys, if you're going to line it up that way. So that's you, very you, interesting. You got to have some guys that can, you got to have some guys that can get him the ball. I mean, we know that. But yeah. I, I think that there there is so much. There's so many times for a lot of a lot of managers and a lot of teams when you don't have the the two or three setup guys that can pitch in a tie game, uh, let's say on the road in the ninth inning and you're trying to save your closer for the lead, uh, you, you have to go to him. And, and I mean, I, I get it. I get it. When, when he's your guy and you're just trying to hold on and you're not winning every single night and you have to have a win, um, he's, he's your comfort. I mean, he's, he's the sweet side of the pillow in the middle of the night. And everybody, every manager wants to do that. But if you have the opportunity and you can afford to have some other guys that you have confidence in that can pitch late in the game in those kind of spots and save your closer for just closing spots, oh, man, that, that's the best bullpen. And, and that's the best for your team. It's the best for your manager. And it, it's almost as though you, you look forward to – the first six innings of the game if you're a hitter because you, you're you just rocking it. You're giving it everything you've got for the first six innings because you know seven, eight, and nine are already laid out, and those guys are going to slam the door. Yeah, The Nasty Boys were as good as it ever was yep. because seven, eight, and nine, the game was freaking over. Yep. So you had, you had guys that came in, and they hit, and they scored early. Yeah, and there were too many situations of which they called on Alexis Diaz in the eighth inning when uh, it was getting hairy and he had to have more than a one-inning save. And th- there was even games where he came in earlier. You've got to have one or two guys that can go into those high-leverage situations and save your guy for the ninth. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, who are the other two hammers would be my question. Would you go out and try to sign one of those guys? I, I think I would. Um I love Lucas Sims. I love Ian Jabot. I thought they both came a long way this year. Now, do they have to stay, take another step forward if we're going to get to that lockdown bullpen? Yeah, they do. Uh, they've got to be able to pitch. Uh, Jabot can pitch more often. Sims has got to be able to pitch more often. I think the, the thing for both of those guys is they were they were kind of forced into spots this year where, you know, they had to – they had to either pitch like wildfire or they had to wear it. And more times than not, they pitched like wildfire. They did awfully well. And I think that's a step up for that bullpen. Um, you know, the kid that we got from the A's, Sam Maul. Wow. I mean, who thought he was going to pitch like that? Yeah, pitch very now, well, really well. He did. Now, you put those those three guys and you add another arm to it, um, I, th- I think that, that gets you where you want to go because that that back end of the bullpen is not just throwing it 100 miles an hour as we have seen and there are a lot of guys out there that can throw it 100 miles an hour and they can't get anybody out you still have to be able to pitch 
you still got to be able to locate a 2-0 breaking ball, and you've got to be able to have something else to go with it. I mean, this day and age, you need three pitches or two that you can locate. And that's just kind of the way it works. How do you see this starting pitching situation working out? The names uh, at the top end are obvious. Uh, They need to be healthy. But how do you see it working out, and uh, who are some guys that you think might make that next step? Well, I I think, number one, um, all of those guys as a collective group, um, I I think they they have figured out they've got to be in better physical shape coming into 2024. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you can, there's, there's not a starter on that team that wouldn't tell you that. And if they don't tell you that, then they don't need to be out there. Um, I, I think all of them have gotten to a point where they realize now, you know what, I've got to be in better physical, physical condition if I'm going to make the grind. And I think you've got some arms that can, that can really help you. I, I think it'd be fun to have a, a veteran arm in there. Uh, from the outside, maybe a, a free agent going into 2024 that can help these guys with um, the mental side of the game. And, I, and I'm not saying that you you take anything away from what our coaches are doing because I think they're doing a wonderful job. I, I think they're spot on. But it, it always helps to have a, a peer in the locker room that is putting on the uniform like you do and sitting next to you during the ball game and, you know, just, just talking about pitching and – Maybe you get some insights from a from a guy that uh, maybe doesn't throw 100 miles an hour. Maybe he only throws 91 or 92, but he's been around a long time. And the reason he's been around a long time is because he knows how to move the ball around, how to change speeds, and he knows different hitters around the league. And I think all of our young pitchers could benefit from that. And they could also benefit from knowing that a guy that throws 91 or 92, well, how are you staying around the game? How, how are you still here and everybody else is throwing 96, 97? Well, there, there's an art to that. And there's an art to being able to, to be in the big leagues for a long time and be successful. If we, can have, if we can find one of those guys, it sure would help our young pitchers. You're describing Wade, Wade Miley right now. <laughs> What's that? You're describing Wade Miley right now. Well, yeah, well, I, I do a, like Wade Miley. No, but he had a tremendous – I'm just looking back. He had a tremendous influence uh, on the younger pitchers. Exa- exactly what you just said. How do you hang around the game throwing 90-91, moving the ball around? I mean, that's that's him, and he was a tremendous well, that, influence. And even like Sonny Gray. That's he, the kind of pitcher I think would, yeah. would really help this club. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Even like a Sonny Gray who – throws harder than Miley obviously but he had a tremendous influence on the pitching staff as well so guys like that it's going to be interesting I completely agree with you what's exciting to me is this core not only pitching but there's only a few spots they're going to look to upgrade next year I mean they're infield I mean I don't know what's going to happen with Votto but their infield's almost set and they're really good well, I, I agree with you there. I, I think you have you've got some young position players that have gotten to the big leagues in a hurry, um, and and they found some success. Now there there's also a a point where 
those young players have to learn how to be ready every single day. Yeah. Learn how to get get themselves in in a spot. Learn how to be big leaders. Uh, don't come out there on the field and flip flops and try to take ground balls. You know things like that. Uh, that that doesn't sit well with with the front office. It doesn't sit well with ownership. You you've got to be a big leader. And maybe we need uh, if we don't have Votto, then maybe we need a uh, a position player that is a veteran guy that has put it on for a long time. He may not be a guy that can play every single day, but maybe he's one of those veterans that can provide some leadership and pr- provide some sensibility to, to some of these young kids. I mean, you just can't – you can't have them all out there. I mean, have you ever been out to a five-year-old playground? <laughs> not in a while, no. Well, it it's like, it's like herding cats. They're everywhere. They're all over everything, screaming, hollering, running like their hair's on fire. Well, we like to watch that, how our young kids play, but you kind of need a teacher around there to kind of hold them all together, Yeah, if that makes sense. It completely makes sense. I would wholeheartedly agree to add a veteran pitcher and a veteran position player. Because you can't get it done on talent alone. You've got to know, one, like you said, how to be a big leaguer. And the mental side of the game, the grind of the game, and the guys that have been there done that. And you know as a former player, all right, who's this guy telling me this? Okay, well, let's look him up on baseball reference. Oh, this guy's been around the block a few times. He probably knows what he's talking about. Well, that's that's how a lot of us learn. You know, um, you, you hear it from your manager, you hear it from your coaches, but you also want to discuss it when, when you're from everybody with somebody that's, that's at least close to your age, you know, um, it, it, it just, it just, you know, you hear a lot of different things, but you probably learn the most from the guy that sits next to you in the locker room and, He's eating in the same room that you are after the ball game. You guys are getting on the same bus. Uh, you're doing the same things. You're going to the restaurants together. Um, you know, a, a peer and a teammate. I mean, that, that that's what being a great teammate's about. And if you can find those guys, and, and they're not easy to find, Jimmy, not this day and age, because there are a lot of veterans that, I mean, they're just kind of gone by the wayside. And Yeah. I, I think you need a pitcher and you need a position player. Who that might be, I, I couldn't tell you right now, but um, I'm, I would bet that's something that um, would be available on the market, and it's just tough to find. It is tough to find, but they've been, in, they've been doing a good job of acquiring players, developing players, trading for players. So I'm going to put my trust in them because so far so good. So I'm going to sit back and hopefully they uh, they do the job. Either way, I think it's going to be really a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot to look forward to. It's been a while since we've gone to spring training. Like, I can't wait to see what these guys can do this year. And I think that's going to be the case come spring. Well, I I was I was awfully excited uh, just watching this club down the stretch. And I know there were a lot of times where they didn't win the games that everyone thought that they were supposed to win, but there was always something from someone each night that was young and we didn't expect it. Um, a home run by 
Christian Encarnacion Strand or a opposite field homer by Matt McClain or some kind of 500-yard bomb by De La Cruz. I mean, or Spencer Steer. I mean, you, the thing about it is Nick Martini you, you had some you, big home runs. Yeah, you can't list all these guys on one hand. I mean, you, yeah. you actually need two hands and maybe more than that. Yeah. And that, that's kind of fun looking forward. Absolutely. All right. What's, uh, how long does it take to drive from Cincinnati to your home in Mississippi? Ten hours, door to door. Oh. <laughs> I can't It doesn't stand. matter how many times you stop. It's just it's ten hours. I just can't. I Long car rides, just. No bueno for me. It, it drives me nuts. But, so you, you'll you stop along the way? You and the, the wife will get some eats along the yeah. way? Yeah. We'll stop. You know, I mean, got to get gas. <laughs> so we'll, we'll be stopping here shortly. But I didn't know if you were like a stop and I got to have some fried chicken or you're just like get gas, snacks, I'm getting home. We'll eat when we get home. Yeah, I'm, I'm more about getting to the house. This is kind of like a race for me, you know? I, I got to get there. What's the current uh, uh, miles per hour that uh, we're driving? <laughs> okay, don't answer we're that. Driving. Don't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to incriminate you. <laughs> somebody just passed Somebody just passed me. What? Oh, you yeah. must, must be concentrating on talking on this podcast. Yeah, I was. That's, that's the first time somebody's passed yeah. me. No, I'm kidding. By the way, you're hands-free, just so people know. You're, you're hands-free, right? So we're not, I'm not putting right. you, not putting you in danger. Oh, that's no. good. Right, well, no, I'm just t- talking into the speaker. And finally, what's the big plans for the off season? What, what we got going? Um, you know, I, I don't really know. Normally, we take a, a big vacation around Thanksgiving. We're we're not going to do that this year. Um, I am uh, going to fish in a um, tournament up in um, North Alabama during during November with a bunch of players and some coaches and a few front office folks. Now, I mean, they're just not from all over baseball. In cowboy and, boots. Will you have cowboy boots? I don't know. On? I don't know if I'll, I'll probably wear my boots. I won't be fishing in my boots. <laughs> See, I just picture you in like some shorts, cowboy boots, and one no, of the, one I of those know. fishing vests. No, you, I, no, I don't. I don't dress like that. But I, I've seen folks that have. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, <clears throat> give the best to the wife and your kids. And have a great off season. Don't be a stranger. And um, I'm sure we'll be bothering you on the hot stove league. <laughs> that sounds good, buddy. All right. Well, you have yourself a good day. And um, I'm going to keep heading southbound, and I'm down. <laughs> Thank you very much for this time. Uh, could you give me a little southern uh, southbound and down? I, I need uh, the, the Mississippi, the southern twang before we go leave here. I need some cowboy. South, southbound and down, and we're gone. Bye-bye. Catch you on the flip side, my friend. See you later. <laughs> All right, buddy. Bye-bye. <laughs> it's the cowboy, Jeff Brantley. We'll be back to wrap it up here in just a moment. All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed uh, season wrap. 
impromptu season wrap with uh, John Sadak and Jeff Bradley, two of my uh, compadres, my cohorts, and proud to call them friends. Hope you enjoyed this season, obviously, of Reds baseball, the resurgence of the Reds. And I hope you enjoyed this season of podcasts as we try to... um, I started this podcast because I got tired of the mundane (laughs) questions of baseball, which it's just you ask. I don't even know if I ask good questions. Sometimes I don't even ask questions, but it's basically the same thing, and you get a lot of the same answers, and it gets really mundane after a while. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm being real here. Um, But the podcast, you can go in-depth. You can get to know guys. You can talk about things off of the field. You can have a few laughs. So that's the reason I started the podcast, and I most conversations I sit down. I have a little bit of a plan in my mind of where we're going to go, but I just kind of let the conversation go. It's like two guys just shooting the breeze. And I hope you've enjoyed this format as we continue to. We've got years under our belts now, so. What the future holds, I don't know. We hope that we'll be back somewhere along the line. And you never know. Keep, Please subscribe to this podcast and tell other, others to subscribe because when there's a new episode, it will show up as a new episode if you're subscribed, obviously. And who knows, if something comes up in the offseason, there's big news or whatever, I might hop on and just do a podcast, an off-season podcast. Who knows? Maybe around Reds Fest. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Never know what the future holds. But one thing I do know, as we've talked about on this episode, is that going forward, it's going to be fun. This group that they've assembled, I am very much looking forward to what's going to happen coming up. Uh, I'm a Reds fan, a lifelong Reds fan. And I'm a fan first. I have to do my job and try to be impartial. Um, But underneath, I'm a Reds fan through and through. It's in my blood. So as a fan, I am so excited, and I hope you are too. The biggest thanks goes out to you, the listener. Everywhere I go, the biggest comment I get is, hey, I enjoy the podcast. And... A lot of times I'm working or I'm on the air and I I can't talk to each and every one of you as long as I would like to, but I hope you know when I thank you when you say those things that I mean it, sincerely mean it, that it, it means a lot to me that there are thousands of listeners out there and you enjoy the podcast or seemingly enjoy the podcast. Otherwise, you wouldn't download it. You wouldn't stream it because it is a choice to listen to this. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I hope there are many more to come and many more fans that pick up this podcast. Please spread the word. I would appreciate that in return. Either way. Thanks for hanging out. Love the season 2023. The resurgence of Reds baseball. Yes. Did it end like we wanted? No. But valuable experience along the way. All right. It's melancholy, but this is not goodbye. It is so long for now here on the Gym Day Podcast.